0: Section twenty of the Lion's Brood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. The Lion's Brood by Duffield Osborne. Section twenty The Banquet. Marcia had felt an instinctive shrinking when she saw that the women also were to recline after the manner of the dissolute greeks instead of sitting as she had been taught to consider the only decent posture for a roman maid or matron then the thought of her mission brought the blush surging to her cheeks whence it receded leaving them pale with a sterner resolve was not love of country the greatest virtue it was time to school herself to shrink at nothing in that cause as she took her place she noticed that the priest of Macarloth, who lay directly opposite had been regarding her fixedly she could see his face now and it was not a pleasing one the semitic features fine and noble in their best form but capable of greater depths of degeneration than those of any other type were in his case exaggerated to an extreme degree of coarseness the mouth was large and badly formed the forehead low, the small eyes peered out snake like from under heavy puffy lids. The nose alone was cut with any measure of fineness, and that projected wide nostrils and aquiline as the beak of a bird of prey. It would have been difficult to imagine a face more gross and sensual in its lines, and the look of low admiration and eagerness which it now wore was well calculated to bring out the sensuality in its most repulsive form. Marcia felt her cheeks burning under the fixedness of the man's gaze, and looking down, she struggled to compose herself by a close study of the gorgeous coverlid of the couch. A fine Campanian texture, dyed scarlet, and heavily embroidered with figures of birds and beasts and flowers, worked into an elaborate design. Even then, his eyes seemed to burn through her hair, through her brain down into her heart, and she found her will revolting more violently than ever against the possibilities involved in her mission. The voice of Hannibal, addressing some conventional compliment to Stenius upon the perfection of the arrangements, came as an intense relief, for the others all turned toward the speaker, and a moment later the slaves passed around with silver basins and ewers, pouring centred water upon the hands of the guests and drying them with dainty flickings of flimsy napkins. Vessels of gold and silver and fine earthenware burned the tables, while at each end of the garden stood a butler in charge of several large amphorae. Those at the north end were half-buried amid imitation mountains, peaked with real snow, wherewith the wine was to be cooled, while those at the south were surrounded by more than tropical verdure, with the braziers and vessels of hot water beside them, ready for mixing the warm draughts. And now the slaves hurried hither and thither, bearing costly dishes with elaborately dressed vivons, dormus stewed with honey and poppy seeds, becafiso surrounded by yolks of eggs seasoned with pepper, and made to resemble peafowl's eggs in a nest, whereupon the stuffed bird was sitting. Fish floating in rich gravies that spouted from the mouths of four tritons at the corners of the dish, crammed fowls' hares fitted with wings to resemble Pegasus, thrushes in pastry stuffed with raisins and nuts, oysters, scallops, snails on silver gridirons, boar stuffed with fieldfarers with baskets of figs and dates hanging from his tusks, sweetmeats, cold tarts with Spanish honey, These and a hundred other dishes, strange or costly, followed each other in quick succession, and all the while the carvers flourished their knives in time with the music now of instruments, again of choruses of boys and girls. The butlers, too, had not been idle, and the cups were constantly replenished, first with the form and later with the cold mixtures. Yet, though both men and women ate greedily and drank deeply, a gloom seemed to hang over the feast the carthaginians whether influenced by native dignity or by a real or simulated contempt for their hosts were reserved and silent while the capuans seemed at one moment forcing themselves into strained merriment and at another cowering before the cold eyes that watched their efforts with scarcely veiled indifference with fear on the one side and distrust upon the other the chances for hilarity and good fellowship looked scanty enough yet stenius ninius was too much a man of the world to yield readily to untoward social conditions clapping his hands he cried out as the head butler bowed before him now my good cappadox let us have no more of these native vintages good though they were They but serve to cultivate the taste for the wines that cement friendships such as ours. Henceforth pour for us only the Côn, the Cudian, and Thasian, and see that you select those amphora whose contents are toothless with age. A rough laugh rolled up from the other table, and the voice of Hannibal the fighter broke out with, It is well said, host. TRULY I WAS WONDERING IF WE HAD BEEN DRINKING FROM THE FAMOUS CELLARS OF CAPUA. WE WASHED OUR HORSES WITH BETTER WINE IN THE NORTH. STENIUS FLUSHED. THEN HE SMILED. AND, CAPADOX, HE WENT ON, IN AN UNRUFFLED VOICE, DO YOU SEND WHAT REMAINS IN MY CELLAR OF THE VINTAGE WE HAVE BEEN DRINKING TO THE HORSE OF MY WORTHY GUEST? AT THE GIANT'S discourteous WORDS, HANNIBAL HIMSELF HAD STARTED FROM THE MOOD OF THOUGHT IN WHICH HE HAD SEEMED WELL nigh BURIED. A quick glance shot from his eye, and his brow furrowed. Then the courtly answer of Stanius relieved the situation, and he turned to his host. You must pardon rough words to rough soldiers, my friend. We of Carthage have had but slender chances to avail ourselves of Greek culture and urbanity. We are mere merchants and warriors, not men of letters or social manners. The hulking savage grew purple and trembled under the rebuke of his chief twice he essayed to speak and then discreetly gulped down the words for hannibal's face though calm and courtly showed a hardening of its lines which meant much to those who knew him as for the companion he raised his hands in voluble deprecation of the apology did he not realize that but for soldiers and merchants Letters and social manners would never have come into being. It was the privilege of so brave a warrior as Hannibal the fighter to say what he pleased and when and where. Ordinary rules were only for little men. Besides, the best of companion wines were truly all too poor for heroes whose souls were already attasted to the nectar of the gods. The suppressed fury and shame of the offender melted away under the balm of these honeyed words, and, laughing loudly but with some constraint, he tossed off to his host a cup of wine last brought. And now Hannibal seemed to shake himself loose from the bonds of silence and thought. Though the conversation still showed the trend of his mind, he turned to Calavius, 30,000 foot and 4,000 horse form an excellent array, and yet I should imagine that the second city in Italy could do even better, in case of need. The attention of hosts and guests became tense at once, though Marcia could note that the motives were diverse. Calavius seemed nervous and flustered. There was a time when that was undoubtedly so, my lord, he said hastily. But now many of our young men have fallen in the wars, and many are serving with the enemy unable to escape, and doubtless in serious danger. Three hundred horsemen interrupted Hannibal dryly, and my spies inform me that they are likely to continue serving Rome, by choice as would doubtless many of your well-born at home, like this fellow Magius, and his brow darkened ominously. The companions moved uneasily on the couches. Magius is a traitor, and will be dealt with in due seasons, said Stenius. It is friends and festivities first with us, and enemies and punishments later. Yes, Magius shall be dealt with, echoed Hannibal, but the acquiescence brought no relief to his hearers. Why should he feel it necessary to supplement their assurance so significantly? Did not the treaty between Carthage and Capua provide the Capuan laws AND MAGISTRATES SHOULD STILL GOVERN ALL Capuans. WHY SHOULD HE SPEAK SO MARKEDLY OF THEIR MILITARY POWER? DID NOT THE TREATY EXPRESSLY STATE THAT NO Capuan WAS TO BE CALLED UPON FOR MILITARY DUTY EXCEPT BY HIS OWN RULERS? CALAVIUS HAD BEEN SIGNALING VIGOROUSLY TO HIS SON PEROLA, WHO HAD RECLINED SILENT AND GLOOMY, BUT WHO NOW SEEMED ABOUT TO SPEAK, DISREGARDING HIS FATHER'S WARNING, THE YOUNG MAN BROKE IN. It is idle to deny that the companion horse serve willingly with Rome and will continue so to serve. As for Dacius Magius, there are many good men here who hold with him, but who lack his boldness. For an instant everyone held his breath in terror of the coming outburst, but those whose angry or frightened eyes first ventured to glance toward the captain-general saw his face wreathed in smiles and his wine-cup raised toward the daring speaker happiness to you flower of companion youth and know that there are two things that hannibal prizes most among men a friend who was once an enemy and a friend who dares to speak the truth calavius had recovered his composure during this speech i would not have you imagine my lord he began but that my son speaks as he believes, and in order that you may have full information. Yet he is ill today in body and mind, and even were it not so, I am older and wiser than he, and no more of men. That Dacius Magius has sympathizers, it is vain to deny, but that they are many or influential, I know who the Capuans aver, is not the case as for our horsemen it is easy to see that their safety demands an apparent friendship for rome it is not wise for three hundred to revile thirty thousand hannibal had continued to keep his gaze upon parola scarcely listening to his father's words in the young man's face something of surprise had mingled with his half defiant half moody expression i do not ask of you my son pursued the general that you whose heart was but lately with our enemies should love and trust us at once that were the part of a hypocrite and i honor you both for the filial piety that threw down your preference before your father's will and for the slowness with which your heart follows your act grant me but this that you judge us fairly by our deeds AND IF WE PROVE NOT BETTER FRIENDS THAN ROME, RETURN TO THEM IN PEACE AND SAFETY. MEANWHILE, THERE IS A HORSE WITH CRIMSON MANE AND FEET THAT SHALL BE LED FROM MY STABLE TO YOURS IN THE MORNING. RIDE HIM, AND REMEMBER THAT HANNIBAL HONORS COURAGE, filial OBEDIENCE, AND TRUTH, ALL IN LIKE MEASURE. SUBDUED applause FROM BOTH TABLES FOLLOWED THESE WORDS but the face of Parola lost but little of its stubborn hostility. Hannibal turned away, and Calavius and Ninius sought to cover, by eager talking, the young man's ungracious reception of such signal favor. The faces of the Carthaginians remained for the most part impassive. Only their dark eyes seemed to sparkle either with wine or suppressed passion. Marcia still felt that one pair was trying to look through her, and she was conscious that Silenius, the Sicilian Greek, was making eager and indecorous love to one of the women at the other table. Another of the latter had just ventured on some light bandage with the chief guest, in whose face Smiles had chased away all the abstraction of the earlier hours. He answered her as lightly, but with indifference, and turned to Marcia. And what says our Roman beauty? he asked. She has come boldly and far to see her enemies. Who knows but she has a boon to beg. Again, Marcia noted disturbance under Calvius' smile. He was wondering at the general's knowledge. Then he realized that Mago's report must be its basis, and his face cleared. "'Yes, truly, I have a boon to ask,' replied Marcia, fixing her great eyes upon the bearded front, stern through its smiles. "'It is that you will spare one house in Italy from ravage and destruction.' "'And where may this house be?' he asked in bantering tones. "'We shall leave many standing, but this one most surely of all.' "'It is upon the brow of the Palatine Hill,' she began.' and then a burst of applause gave notice that the compliment had struck home. It is my father's, she concluded, blushing. Calvius was in ecstasy over the graceful tact of his protégé. No Capuan or Greek could have done better. Hannibal eyed her with a curious expression, half admiring, half doubtful. I grant the boon, freely, he said. Then, fixing her with his gaze, he went on. And when will you claim it? The son of Hamiclar knows best, replied Marcia, casting down her eyes, and again she felt the approval of her host and his friends. That Hannibal was pleased and flattered was evident, and yet there was a certain reserve in his manner. Possibly he suspected that she wished to provoke an announcement of his plans. Perhaps an even deeper insight led him to a fuller conception of her purpose. Yes, it is truly for us to say, he said loudly, glancing around the board, then turning quickly to Marcia, I understand that you counsel delay until spring to my brother Mago. Why? So frank a question, so different from all that had been told of the more than oriental craft of the Carthaginians, and one that went so straight to the motive of her presence threw Marcia into some confusion. Calvius noticed it, and fearing lest she might say something to do away with the impression of her former tact, he came to the rescue. Surely we shall not insult my lord Bacchus by a council of war in his presence? But Hannibal waved his hand toward him and looked fixedly at Marcia. Goddesses may speak on all subjects at all times, and the gods smile. That my words, she began, with eyes still cast down, were deemed worthy to be borne to my Lord, it is too much honor. That he should deem them worthy of thought is beyond the dream of mere woman. Then, glancing up and smiling wistfully into his face, she went on, Know that whatever of judgment born of knowledge of the place and the men has come to me a girl that and more is for the service of the great general of carthage the benignant liberator of italy why do you advise delay asked hannibal again and the eyes of maribel glittered as he leaned over from the other table there are those who say i have delayed too long already for this replied marcia boldly that you may save your soldiers and your allies that they may lie in rest and luxury, and that ere springtime the cities of the Latin name, yes, truly, and the very rabble of Rome, shall come to you on their knees for leave to bear the horse heads along the sacred way up the capitoline slope. In the spring, why not now? Maribal and Hannibal the fighter made a clucking sound of assent. Hastrubal and the other guests seemed indifferent, but the Capuans were hanging on Marcia's words. Because the time is not ripe, she began. Words, cried her questioner, cutting off her speech. I asked why. Frightened at his vehemence, but put to it of necessity, she answered. Because there are strifes and bickerings at Rome throughout the Latin name that must soon bear the fruit of civil strife. The nobles grind and hold to their privileges. The commons serve and starve and look to Carthage for aid. How shall these things grow better while you hold the garden of Italy, while the Greeks of the south and the Samnites and the men of the soil gather behind you on one side, and the Gauls and Etruscans muster in the north? The water is eating at the mole soon the waves will lash up and sweep it from its foundations hannibal eyed her closely for a moment then he said there are those in rome and among the latin name who tell me otherwise they are good men and they know perhaps i have been even too cautious you are young and beautiful hold fast matters suited to youth and beauty and leave the conduct of wars and statecraft men Turning to Stenius, he went on. If this Lacudian wine of yours, my Stenius, were let into the veins of those who lie dead at Cannae, they would be fit to rise and do battle again. Stenius bowed and smiled. Marcia grew red and then pale with shame and vexation, seeing how her plots were like to fall and crush her. But at this moment the voice of Hannibal the fighter rose from the other table. Flushed with wine he was boasting of his slain. Four at Trebia he cried out, seven at Tarasimus, eighteen at Cannae, but all men. It is better to slay the wolves' whelps, if only to teach women that it is no longer wise to bring forth Romans. I, I, who speak, have already killed eleven boys, ah, but you must wait till we enter Rome. Then will be the day when they shall build new cities in Hades." The Carthaginians heard him with indifference. The Capuans, all save Parola, applauded nervously, and Marcia grew sick at heart, and mad with a rage that could almost have strangled the giant as he reclined. And now, began Ninius mildly, when there was a moment's silence, that we may better enjoy what is to come. There are baths and attendants, and the Red Feather will make way for new feastings at the end of two hours. Slaves had run in to assist the diners from their couches. The Capuans, with dreams of relief, refreshment, and re-repletion, the Carthaginians bored but striving to be polite and to follow the customs of their entertainers. Even Hannibal, while his smile was half a frown, permitted himself to be led away. Filled with disgust and despair, Marcia felt herself all unfit to begin a new revel, one that was to be made possible by the loathsome practices as yet unknown at Rome and which bade fair to end in aimless and hideous debauchery the women were but warming to their part when the summons of stinius ninius had proclaimed a truth with bacchus and venus a truth with promise of more deadly battle to be joined she had seen glances hot with wine and lust clasping of hands loosened cyclas and more lavacious reclinings. The gloomy Parolia had yielded a little to the soft influences, and even Hannibal seemed to force himself to toying, if only in the name of courtesy. While through it all, and more and more as the light of day advanced, Marcia felt the eyes of Itilcar, priest of Melkarth, burning into her soul. He at least gave no heed to nearer blandishments, and terror and loathing filled her in equal measure. A faintness, a sudden weakness born of her recent journey, served for excuse, which Calavius seemed not unwilling to voice, and, surrounded by a guard of slaves, her litter bore her back to his house, through streets littered with drunken men. And fluctant with the figured robes of courtesans. End of section twenty. Recording by Tom Mac.